Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by the one and only Matei Hasevar. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I'm going to give you a quick recap of the week that was, the weekend, give you a few things that I'm super jazzed about this week, and then we will jump in to the show. So, Let's start with the weekend, and it was very nice to have a weekend with minimal work involved. You know, got some some quality time in with pretty much each family member on an individual basis. Got some time to just hang out and chill with Cade and play with Cade. Got to take Kendall out to brunch on Sunday, which was nice, just her and I. And then actually, believe it or not, Jess and I got away for about an hour and a half on Saturday night. Had a date night, just went down the road, had a nice dinner together. It was nice to just kind of chill be out of the house, kid-free, and enjoy each other's company. So, really good weekend. Also, man, crushed the training on Saturday, and not the training in the way that you would would, uh, normally think of it. It wasn't massive weights or anything like that, but something I've made a bigger focus here lately is just getting more steps in, moving more, being more active, so kind of finding the long way into staying fit. So, you know, we've all heard oh, park your car super far out in the parking lot or take the stairs versus the escalator. Man, I've done all those things, but on Saturday, you know, I cut my own grass, so I did all that. Then I met my guy, G, Jalen Robinson. We met at the park, did some tempo runs because he's priming and getting himself ramped up for the CFL season. Then after the tempo runs, came back and just did extra yard work, you know, raked a bunch of like the grass was super high, so raked the grass, all that. Man, I smashed like 3,200 calories burned by like noon that day. <laughs> so then I think the, the goal the rest of the day was just to chill as much as humanly possible. I, don't, I think I probably only burned 500 the rest of the day. But good weekend. Um, and the best part, I think, about the weekend was turning it around. And on Monday, today, as I'm recording this, iFast is open for business. It has been the longest possibly most stressful two and a half months that I've ever had as a business owner. And look, if you've owned a business for one year or 20, there's ups and downs, right? It's the life of an entrepreneur. It's kind of what you sign up for. But I don't think any of us have ever seen something like this before where you literally have to shut down your business for a very extended period of time. And even when you come back, it's not like things are back to normal right? We're taking our temperature when we walk in. We're wearing face masks or face shields all over the facility. People are genuinely, to some extent, scared to come back. Like, not everybody is going to come back right away. But, you know, look, I'm just, I'm grateful that today we are open back up. The gym is rolling again. Seeing the people's faces, seeing how excited they were to be back in the gym made me feel really good. So excited about that. Excited that we are so, so close to having iFastU back open again. As I know I've mentioned a couple times on the show, it has been just such an ordeal to get this set up. And my poor web guy, Matt, who helps me out with all this stuff, bet he was ready to pull whatever hair he had left out during this project. But we are close. We've got like the WordPress working now. I'm working on the main page. So when you go there, there's actually a link to, to pay and sign up and get going, but very excited about that. And I think, the great thing about iFastU is, look, number one, you get me and Bill, like 100%. Like, not to take anything away from any of the other amazing people that have worked at iFast or that have been a part of iFastU, but the resounding feedback that I've gotten time and again is that people want more Mike and Bill. So, 
that's what you're gonna get. So if you sign up, you get a lot of Mike and Bill, you're gonna get something from us every single week. So just really excited to get that up and running again. And I think it's also gonna fit in really well because while I do offer private coaching and private mentorships, a lot of people just aren't in that space right now, especially financially. They're not looking to pay four to $600 a month for private mentorship. And some are, right? But you know, I've had a lot of people that were mentees and they're just like, look, financially, I can't do this right now. So when you open IFASU, we're there. So I'm excited about that because I think the timing is perfect. It's gonna hit a definite sweet spot with regards to pricing. It's gonna be under a hundred bucks a month, two pieces of content every month, two Q&A Zoom calls. It's gonna be the bomb. So very excited to get that up. Excited to have training going again. Like this is actually my busy time of year. You know, I couldn't really talk about it before because I didn't want to risk the $1,000 fine or more importantly, the 180 days in jail. But man, I've had people in my gym for about six weeks now, not many. Um, And the first two to three weeks of that were Glenn only. I mean, it was just Glenn because Glenn had already been tested when he was with the 76ers. Their whole team was, was tested. So I don't think that's anything new, but man, I just wanted to get him in. want to take, make sure I take great care of him. He's in a contract year. I want to see him be successful. And then as soon as I could, I started getting my other guys back in because like everything's up in the air, right? Like we don't know when people are going to go back to sports. When they do go back, are they going to play meaningful games? Um, How long is it going to be till they play meaningful games? What is their training camp going to look like? How long are they going to have to ramp up? These are all questions that not just myself, but every physical prep coach that works in the professional collegiate ranks is dealing with right now. So I just knew for me personally, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if something happened to one of my athletes due to a lack of preparation. I mean, that is our job, right? That's why we call ourselves physical preparation coaches. So, I mean, I jumped through all the hoops, all the disinfectant, cleaning up everything, you know, temperature checking myself. So I'm excited that now we can kind of lift the veil and say, yeah, we're in the gym, we're getting work in and just excited and I'm still excited to do what I do, probably even more so now because it was kind of taken away from us for a while. So I'm really re-energized, ready to get back in the gym, help all these guys and girls that I work with get better. So just really kind of on cloud nine right now. Last but not least, the content. The content, my friend, is is coming. I feel like it's, it's very steady. It's going to continue to be steady. I've got a great um, kind of system going here and it's getting better by the day, but trying to shoot, you know, at least two to three more like talking head type videos each week. That's on top of, you know, the little snippets that I do, the video demos or like the coaching exercise demo things. So I feel like that's going really well. If you're not on YouTube or Instagram, I would highly recommend go to one of those two because I try and put stuff up on both. I know people have kind of a love hate relationship with each. So whether it's Instagram, whether it's YouTube, if you're not following me on those places, I think you're missing out on some really great content. And, you know, it's probably not stuff that's going to revolutionize the way you're writing programs or coaching your clients, but it's little tweaks that are going to make you better. So that's going really, really well. And then the podcast, good to see the numbers creeping up. Like we've been very steady this year, like eerily steady as far as downloads. So I'm continuing to push. I'm going to make a big push because I want to hit 30K downloads this month. We've been at like 26, 27 the last three or four months. So I'm going to make a big push. I'm, 
even running some Facebook ads, you know, boosting the posts, all that good stuff just to try and get more people to the show. So anything you can do to help just spread the word would be greatly appreciated, whether it's taking your favorite episode and sending it to one of your friends, family members, coach, trainer, athlete, whoever you think would benefit from it. Like just you connecting with one other person can make a big impact because we have a trickle down effect from there. So, all right, I have rambled long enough. We're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna jump into this awesome, awesome show with my boy Matei. One thing Bill Hartman and I have talked about for years now is the power of mentorship. Early on, I didn't have a mentor to shape or guide me, or most importantly, help me find the blind spots in my own training and coaching. But luckily, after many years of trial and error, I found Bill and my professional success exploded as a result. But the downside to the mentorship process, at least professionally, is that it can be pricey. For private mentees that I work with, it costs anywhere from $3.99 to $5.99 per month to work together. And while I know the results go far beyond that price, the fact of the matter is that just won't work for a lot of folks. So when Bill and I sat down a while back, we asked ourselves a really tough question. How can we help shape the future of the industry and truly make it great? And beyond that, how can we create amazing content yet make it affordable to virtually every trainer or coach out there? And the answer for us was simple, restart iFast University. Here's what you'll get when you become a member of iFast University. One update each month from myself and Bill. This could cover anything from improving exercise technique to writing better programs and everything in between. Twice per month Q and A's, where Bill and I will personally answer your questions to help you become better at training, coaching, or even running your fitness business. A Facebook group where you'll be surrounded by like-minded trainers and coaches who are serious about getting better and access to the iFastU archives where you'll be able to watch literally hundreds of pieces of content from the iFast team over the years. This blend of content and Q&A is specifically designed to help make you the best trainer or coach possible. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to ifastuniversity.com to get signed on. We'd love to have you on board. Matej Hasabar is a guy I often refer to as the world's most interesting man. Matej is the owner of Vigor Move and Live in Ljubljana, Slovenia, and since our last show, he's completed a master's degree and become a dad for the first time. In this episode, Matej and I talk about a bunch of different topics. We start with a serious chat about sports science and how to use it practically without getting overwhelmed with the data. From there, we spin off and we talk about training adults and the concessions that you have to make or that you should be making as you get older. And last but not least, we talk about his pet project, the Movement Culture Documentary. As always, this show with Matei doesn't disappoint. I really hope you enjoy it. This is one of my favorite human beings in the whole world, so I really hope you enjoy this episode. But enough for me. Let's do this. Matei, man, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Really excited to have you back on. If someone didn't listen to our first episode, could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, first and foremost, thank you for inviting me back. It seems like I had something good to say last time around. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a privilege and a pleasure to be on here. I know you've got some of the best people in the business on here. I follow the podcast literally every week. Thank and I have you. done so for 
man, I'm probably like five or six years. So it really is a privilege, not just once, but to to be invited back on a second time. It's a fantastic honor. Yeah, I mean, you know, kind of the short story is about now 13 years ago, 14 years ago, I started a, a company, a gym in Slovenia, Ljubljana called Big Ground. At the time, it was with my brother, Luca uh, Hotsa, yeah. who some of your listeners may know. Yeah. And also another friend of mine, Jigaur, who's uh, still a partner in the gym. Yeah, since then, we've gone through, you know, trials, tribulations of, you know, opening a small gym, basically coaching whoever we were able to fortunate to coach at the time, which was at the time, mostly young people, you know, athletes who kind of, you know, their sporting careers and were looking you know, to, to keep training at a high level. So that was kind of our audience, which with time has grown and, you know, along with us. So we now cater to professional athletes, youth athletes, obviously general population, which includes like, you know, seniors, some of dad who's 72, he trains in our gym. <laughs> That's and, awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's really cool to have him on board as well. Yeah, even down to, to the kids. So we had a, a junior program as well. So for six, uh, seven, eight-year-olds. So, yeah, I mean, whoever's looking to kind of, you know, improve their movement and their fitness, you know, we're here to help. That's awesome. That That's awesome. The last couple of years, I've been focusing more on the soccer side of things as well. I used to be a you know professional athlete for, for a little while and played a decent level international in my youth days. And then I just kind of, you know, ended my career quite, quite early at uh, 24, 25 and moved into, into training. Now I have the opportunity to give back, I suppose. I'm currently head strength and conditioning at Olympia Ljubljana, which is like the number one team here in Slovenia, I'd like to think. Uh, the lads <laughs> right. are actually, well, the lads have actually just uh, qualified for the Youth Champions League, which is quite kind of a big That's deal awesome. for us. And uh, I'm in my third season there. And yeah, I'm really, really kind of engaging in that. Um, really lucky in a way to, to be able to help the guys a stage of their career where I was at, you know, many moons ago. And yeah, and kind of enjoying life a bit of a bit of an expansion in the family as well I yeah maybe nine months ago yeah so, man uh, you got a lot going that, on that's what's up yeah, i love it for sure. i love it so other than the little one what else is new since we chatted what changes have you had professionally since then right so well i've been doing more consulting work now i think much like yourself and here in slovenia it's even more pronounced you know the young fitness professional completes their, you know, degree, undergraduate, even not, you know, graduate degree, and they don't know where to start, how to get people on board. So the young kids who are coming into the industry and uh, working with groups of people and youth athletes, all these type of groups, you know, they, they haven't really got a clue where to start, even though they do have an academic base to work from. So I'm trying to help uh, these guys and girls out to basically start them off. And, you know, some of them actually, you know, own own their own gyms, small spaces. Some are working out of big box gyms. So that's one thing. Obviously, the other thing is I'm getting engaged in the soccer side of things. So, you know, four times a week, I'm, I'm down, you know, on the pitch with the guys for their training sessions. And then obviously, I'm working at bigger ground in semi-private, private setting with professional athletes uh, and also general pop, you know. I've also just I'm just finishing my master's degree in strength and conditioning at St. Mary's University in London, Twickenham. Mm. And that this is really well, now my third year. So it's uh, it got me back into academia quite late in the game, I'd say. <laughs> but it's been uh, it's been really enjoyable, I have to say. Very applied setting. I went into that on the back of uh, some advice from Mladen Jovanovic, who you've also had on, on the podcast. And yeah. Yeah, I respect his advice quite a lot. I asked him what he thinks, you know, whether I should 
you know, go and do a master's, whatever. And uh, he gave me a couple of suggestions. And based on that, I uh, signed up for some areas and I'm not sorry one bit. So it's kind of, you know, going back into this more on sports science part of the business. And yeah, it's helped me to basically make different decisions, you know, kind of filter and I'd say change my methodology and approach the training. I'd say evolve the monitoring side of things a little bit more. Okay. And yeah, and I wouldn't really like to go down the route of, you know, what, what science and evidence based, but it's definitely, you know, kind of reduces your bias in certain areas for sure. I gotcha. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I would love to kind of jump in here because I've got a ton of topics I want to cover. And I think I'd love to start with soccer because I know you've not only played at a high level, but you've coached now at a high level as well. So let's start with something that I don't think most people talk about or even think about when they're getting started as a team sport physical prep coach. And so what I'd love for you to talk a little bit about is the differences between being on the pitch with them and being in the gym with them. So how are the dynamics different when you move from being on the pitch, which is their world, to coming into the weight room, which is your world? Well, first of all, that's a really good analogy, their world and my world. I'd say I'm kind of privileged here to be working with these guys because, you know, I used to be that used to be my world as well. Mm-hmm. So I can relate I can relate to what it was when I was uh, 17, 18 years old. You know, you, you've got all these ideas in your head. You know, you, you're going to play professionally. You're going to play abroad. And, you know, I was willing to, to train my socks off every time I went on the pitch. And these guys, you know, they, they love their football or soccer rather, you know, but they don't really like going to the gym. But I think these days the tides turn a little bit and I'd say some of them, I wouldn't say most of them, know that it's become almost a necessity to kind of, you know, basically improve their physical performance across the board so that, you know, just training with the ball is not enough. But for sure, there's, first of all, there's a lot of anxiety with, with especially the young players coming into the gym because, you know, they, they don't know. Sometimes it will be the parents that will introduce them. Sometimes it will be their agents because, by the way, er everyone, who's like 14 years and can kick a ball has an agent these days. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, so it might be players coming into our facility with, without them actually, you know, asking to come into the facility. So first of all, it's about, you know, kind of talking the same language communication. So explaining to them how this will help their game on the pitch, you know, first and foremost. And obviously the guys who I train on the pitch some of them come into my gym as well. So it's a, it's a much easier transition in that case because already on the pitch, I'm explaining what kind of um, limitations I may be seeing. And obviously, I don't use those negative words with right. them, but I'm, I'm trying to basically steer them into the direction where, you know, you, you want to be a robust athlete. It doesn't matter if you're a soccer player, basketball player, whatever. But, you know, we're, we're trying to get you more robust and basically injury uh, so so basically get you resistant to to injuries such as hamstring tears and stuff like that yep and i think once i once i speak their language it's 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 much much easier to introduce them into into the gym environment and look it's it's not being easy because sometimes they still don't know what's what's a good gym environment and what's not so they'll see stuff on youtube and they'll just look at some exercises that they (laughs) think are sexy and you know they sometimes they'll ask me yeah are we going to do you know 
chest and upper back and stuff like that. And I'm, you know, I have to explain to them why we're doing that, uh, this program, you know? Yeah. So I think it's, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a cliche, but definitely communication is key here. And, you know, obviously I was, I was that kid, 17 years, 18 years old on the, on the pitch, you know, trying to make it big. I think it's easier for me because I've been there to explain, you know, why they're in the gym and why they're doing the stuff that I'm asking them to do really. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that's interesting, too, is because we're approximately the same age or at least in the same age range. Right. And like we remember, like how we came up and it wasn't programs like we write today. It was like chest and back (laughs) or bodybuilding (laughs) splits or whatever the bodybuilders did. So I think now it's helpful because. We remember, hey, like, yeah, it was a while ago, but we remember what it's like to be a 17, 18-year-old kid, right? And you want to build the showy muscles and you want to look good, obviously, on the pitch, but you want to look good off the pitch, right? Because there's other interesting things in life. But I think it's helpful now that we have better explanations, right? And we can explain, like, look, here's why you may want to do this and maybe we can sprinkle some of that in, but here's why we're doing this and here's how it's actually going to improve your performance. And I think when you can help them understand like okay this is where this would be valuable right the chest and back day versus this is what we're doing and how it's going to help your performance i think if you can explain that at a high level it's so much easier to get buy-in because if you don't have a good explanation as to why what they want to do won't necessarily help them you're really going to struggle to make that connection and to get the buy-in that you want exactly and i i think obviously you know some of the guys you know even their parents may know me or have known me as as a player before you know so i have a little bit of clout there yes and then i was you know i was fortunate enough obviously you know it's uh, definitely not just down to me i was fortunate enough to to work with some players 18 19 who went on to make it really big in slovenia yep. and in and in europe playing in some of the biggest biggest european clubs and you know so that bought me a little clout as well obviously you know the 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 soccer community is pretty tight-knit so you know one player will tell the other look this guy he's the best around you know go and check him out so you know on the back of that i've been able to develop a bit of a niche in in soccer of course and like i said you know obviously you know you need to know what you're doing but obviously there's a bit of luck there as well because you need to to find the right moment and you never know how how these players will develop so for me i Again, maybe another cliche, but a really important part of it is, you know, we want to we want to develop, you know, better people, not just better athletes and players. You know, if if you come into my gym and you walk out the gym and you're you're still an asshole, then you know I've not done I've not done my job, and I really I really believe that. So uh, I'm happy to say that the guys I started training seven eight years ago who've done who've done me proud and who've gone. To playing really big clubs you know they're still the guys who come into the gym every off season to work with me for one to two months you know whatever time they've got and during the international break so um yeah i think probably that's one of the highest achievements you can really have is basically those relationships that go deep absolutely yeah when those people keep coming back that tells you you're kind of doing something right so yeah so another piece of the soccer world and soccer puzzle that I'm fascinated by is this concept of tactical periodization. Now, this may be an unfamiliar term if you're not in the soccer space. So for those that are unfamiliar, would you mind explaining kind of what tactical periodization is and then talk about how you apply your piece to that specific puzzle? Well, tactical periodization was thought up by a Portuguese coach and teacher, Vitor Frade. Was his name and it's actually been now applied 
to quite a lot of sports. I think it's becoming more and more prevalent in basketball and other yes. team sports, r- rugby. And I think it's coming into American football as well, I think. So the basic idea is specificity in one word, I'd say. you know. Yeah. So basically br- breaking the game down into pieces of play using small-sided games. So basically by manipulating pitch or uh, or court size and the, the number of players on in the attack or defense or offense defense as you guys call it and basically then also run the energy systems by basically breaking that down into different intervals so you may have one day that's more extensive so the pitch may be bigger with more players and then another day you may have a more intensive day with a small pitch or a small court with fewer players where you have more changes of direction you know more eccentric stress and you know that's in that way tactical periodization is basically implemented into a weekly microcycle if you mm-hmm. uh, if you wish so if you know, if you got a saturday to saturday cycle to train so you basically on different days you'll manipulate the pitch size to fit in with your targeted energy systems you know different themes i'd say so be it speed deceleration acceleration collision you know in rugby that's a big thing in yeah. american football too so yeah I, I actually think it's a it's a great methodology i think it's probably the best we've got right now but i think in a certain way it's flawed because you know some areas will not get overloaded enough you know and we know that overload uh, is you know essential part to adaptation um and obviously here it's, again, a big challenge is, you know, speaking the same language as the, the sports coach, right? Yeah. So we need to be on the same page as why we may need to top up certain athletic or, or physical abilities. And that's really where I come in. At least that's where I think my role lies. So, you know, the guys will not, as you may well know, you know, you've studied soccer quite a bit as you've worked in soccer a bit as well. You know, not many players, especially the guys and, you know, center backs and some midfielders will hit their maximum velocity during games or training. Yep. So, you know, and, and, and we know based on recent and uh, not so recent research that, you know, exposing players to maximum ve- velocity is probably the best way to protect them against uh, hamstring injuries. Right. Yep. Especially having sound biomechanics of uh, sprinting, running, changes of direction. So what I really do is basically I try to use a tactical periodization model that we apply in the club. And I try to basically microdose physical elements or capacities based on the training man- menu that day so for example we'll have a if we have a match on a saturday then because they're youth team players sunday's off right yeah and on a monday we'll get them introduced into training so it'll be kind of a, like a lighter session we we may do some some weight work in the gym maybe not depending on on the player but then on match day plus three that is so on a tuesday we will go into accelerations, decelerations, so small spaces, you know, changes changes the direction. It will be quite quite eccentric focused. So this may include stuff like, you know, uh, resisted sprinting, you know, resisted accelerations, 10, 20 meters with a sled, and then small spaces where there'll be like two on two situations. And then on a Wednesday, we'll kind of use a bigger pitch size to kind of, you know, extensify use more aerobic qualities you know there won't be so much i'd say you know stop in starting players have got more time i i guess more space to move around in and yes. then on thursday which is match day minus two we will 
focus on speed so that doesn't mean just you know kind of physical speed you know sprinting and stuff but also you know cognitive speed making decisions in a short space of time and that gives us just enough time to kind of recover for game day on a Saturday uh, and basically wrap the week up and then on a Friday I I take a backseat obviously because it's uh, more of a walkthrough tactical stuff corners set pieces and so forth so i would say you know my bit is like mostly focused on the tuesday and the thursday so uh, obviously also monday so match day plus two match day match day plus three and then match day minus two i guess Mm -hmm. uh where i develop the 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 physical qualities that i feel are key to protecting these guys in terms of injury prevention also you know enhancing performance and in during the season obviously it will mostly be maintenance you know, some guys will be able to develop based on the number of games you got. It will mostly be maintenance. Yeah. You know, I I think when I read that book, when as I was really getting into the soccer space, it just made so much sense to me. I was like, they're literally trying to do with soccer practice what we do when we lay out a training program, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and and so what you just described, and, and I know I've talked about this in different areas before, but, you know, is basically planning the week around you know, hey, look, we're not trying to peak like once every three months or every six months like a track and field athlete. Essentially, you're trying to create a peak every Saturday, right? So that you're performing at a high level. And so when you break down that that weekly micro cycle, like Tuesday, at least when I was doing it, like that's going to be generally a pretty high intensity day. Like you said, on the pitch, they're probably going to play small sided, intense games, lots of cutting. When we go yeah. in the gym, Hey, if I'm going to go like a heavy day that's going to have some delayed onset muscle soreness, it's going to be Tuesday because I know I have the most recovery time to get ready for Saturday. And another thing that may help if you are unfamiliar with this concept of of tactical periodization and changing pitch size or amount of players on the pitch is just imagine being in a really small space and you're playing two on two, right? So like half court basketball, if you're if you're familiar with that sport, two on two, like you can't really hide. Right. (laughs) Versus if you open that up and you play full court five on five, it's not really that big of a deal if you don't run back on offense or defense every now and then, you know, like you can you can hide. And and that's especially true in soccer when they open it up to a full pitch size and you've got 10 v 10 or 11 v 11. Now, like, hey, man, if you don't make a run one time, it's probably not a huge deal. So I think that helps you kind of understand how intense the game is going to be and the energy systems you're going to train. It just helps you have a better understanding of like, what is the coach trying to get out of this specific drill or exercise? I think a good analogy for for the strength coach here is basically manipulating density of work, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when you've got a, so you mentioned like on a Tuesday or you'd have like a 2v2. So that's a lot of, you know, number of repetitions, number of actions every minute or whatever time frame you're working in, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be very high. So in the gym, if, for instance, if you wanted to recreate that, you could be doing like every minute on the minute stuff, you know, maybe doing cluster sets, stuff like that, depending on the modality you want to get out. But, you know, you, you either using weightlifting derivatives or just, you know, basic lifts or whatever. But if you wanted to kind of match that up and my experience with Altis, and I think I talked about that on the, on the previous episode was really insightful in terms of like, you know, they, they would pair up their, you know, theme on the track with, uh, with the gym or rather vice versa, right? But obviously the gym based stuff would be secondary to what they were doing on the track, but yep. they would pair it up. So like, you know, they would, when they would do accelerations, it would be usually be max strength stuff. 
and then on uh on when they were doing max speed they would be be doing dyna- dynamic effort stuff you know just based on the speed of movement the time and the tension and so forth gotcha so i want to kind of take that topic and expand on a little bit more because I know you've just wrapped up your thesis. Congrats. And I'd I'd love to hear more about neuromuscular fatigue in soccer. So how do you go about adding in these objective measures and monitoring in sport while at the same time, not just getting totally overwhelmed and bogged down with all the data? Yeah. So first and foremost, when I was first introduced to neuromuscular fatigue and, you know, monitoring neuromuscular fatigue, that's exactly what happened. Happened, you know. I uh, got myself force plate, so got a force X, uh, you know, a pair of for, force plates. Yeah. And when their rep came down to to show me, you know, the way they worked, I'd been familiar with obviously the technology and everything before. But then, you know, every single time someone would would do a counter movement jump, thing would spit out like forty different variables, and you're like, <laughs> what am I looking at? Right. right. So yeah, I think the being kind of down in the trenches now with the sports scientists and basically going through tons of research and making sense of what what's important and what's not so what to measure and what not to measure uh i've come up with a more clear idea of what i'm looking at and you know huge and i say inspiration here has been uh, matt jordan he's a canadian mm. uh, strength and conditioning coach working up in calgary is mostly with uh, with skiers and uh, i think matt's work is re- was really ahead of his time because he's been doing this like for 20 years or so he's been looking at metrics that you know obviously you can't predict injury but you can you can have a certain bandwidth where where you want your athletes to be right mm-hmm. and we are currently looking at you know break the counter movement jump in this case into component parts so you know the eccentric component concentric component you know how much power someone's able to generate you know relative to to their body mass and you know there's about three or four metrics that i used in my uh, in my dissertation and that included eccentric braking impulse so relative peak power uh, relative body mass that is and RS, RSI modified, right? So reactive strength index modified, mm-hmm. uh, basically the flight time to contraction time ratio. Okay. And it basically gives you an insight into not just performing the, you know, um, counter movement jump or vertical jump, but how someone's jumping, right? How long they need to produce the power that they need, you know, and is that in line with the time they've got on the pitch to produce power, right? We know that, you know, world-class sprinters, you know, the top, top, top sprinters, they only spent like 0.08 seconds on on the ground where they're running at max velocity, right? Obviously yep. for soccer players, that would be a bit more, but, you know, during the acceleration phase, that still that's even prolonged a little bit. But, you know, we can look at their jumping strategies and see, you know, how they load from one side to the other. If there there are major asymmetries, we we may look at, you know, kind of addressing that. Obviously, there, there's some asymmetry that's inherent to the human body. But when, again, they come out of a certain bandwidth. So I'd say like I'd say a gold standard is about 15 percent, I'd say. Okay. You know, so they, once they kind of uh, go beyond that, we'll, you know, we're, we're going to. You know, signal a red flag and maybe ask them to to come in for additional monitoring and assessment to see why you know why right. they're loading one side of the body more than the other. Why they may be loading one side of the body body more when they're descending into you know the the squat in this case. Yeah. You know uh, the eccentric part and why they're loading the other limb more when they are 
taking off and again when they're landing. So, you know, I think this needs to be taken simultaneously with uh, some video because obviously, you know, you can run all the numbers you want, but, you know, you need to see people moving as well. And sometimes I'll have four to six athletes, you know, go the the actual testing, you know, nowadays these companies have got great software behind all the all their products. So it's really easy to, you know, for for the uh, software to spit out data. But while you may go through four or six players in like 10 minutes, which is great, you, you really have to take time and look at video later on to see, okay, someone, this guy is really hinging during their, you know, jump as opposed to like using you know, their quads opening up the knees and, you know, really using that triple flexion. Yeah. And that can, can inform and should really inform the program, you know, if they're working with you in the gym as well. Um, and I've had like, unfortunately for them, fortunately for me, tons of young soccer players rupturing their ACL. So I think I'm about 30 players in now, oh, wow. um, you know, and after a while you get, you know, recognize certain patterns and now having, you know, some objective data to work with it you know just kind of um it's a little bit easier for me to detect things that are off you know so in a player and, and i'll be able to address that before you know they may go and rupture it again or the other yeah. one yeah which is a big deal obviously and can and end the career before yeah. it's even started so i think the most important word that you said here and i had written it down because it's something that we have to understand is strategy is so important here, right? When we we're talking about neuromuscular fatigue. So this is something that I think was lost on me. I know definitely when I was a young coach and it's made more and more sense the longer I've done this, but you have to have tests that are sensitive enough to get what you want, right? So for example, if we just look at a vertical jump in and of itself and somebody can jump 30 inches, whatever that is in centimeters, but if they can jump 30 centimeters and they do that on Monday and they do that on Tuesday, well, then maybe you would think, oh, they're fine. They're ready to train. But unless you can break it down, you can get more sensitive like you were talking about, like eccentric RFD. I know that's something that, that we've looked at in the past. Like that's something that can be massively different. So the strategy and how they create that 30 inch jump can be totally different. Right. One day it could be very bouncy and elastic. The second day it could be very muscular based or more force based. So I think that's just such a great point and something to remember is you've got to have sensitive measures because I think far too often we rely on the lowest common denominator, right? Like just a jump height or just yeah. a strength number. And, you know, how they produce that vertical jump or how they produce that strength can be wholly different on a day to day basis. It's huge. And, um, I was obviously um, fortunate enough to have uh, GPS technology as well uh, mm. whilst I was doing my thesis or dissertation, what have you. And, you know, obviously sports science is where, you know, we're really trying to kind of like predict, you know, so if you've got X, then Y is going to be, you know, so much and so much. So basically sports science is really interested about, you know, the outcomes based on, you know, some, some, some input, uh, you'd say, right. So we're trying to predict certain things, but, you know, often we can't predict stuff because there's so much stuff that's going on, you know, outside of the game and outside of training as well. But it just, I think 
neuromuscular fatigue and monitoring it is just a little insight into how you can go about adapting and adjusting your program as you go along. Because we all know right now, you know, the days of writing out three month program are past, right? In soccer, right. I've got to adapt on a weekly basis, right? So I think it just, so if I've got two sessions with a player every week and I'm I'm testing their neuromuscular fatigue or, you know, uh, their neuromuscular output on a Monday, I'll know, you know, how I can adjust my training on the Tuesday and the Thursday, right? Yep. And that includes the, the pitch and the gym itself, right? And I don't think it's really, I mean, we may go after this, you know, sport science is, is going to go after the correlations and causations and everything, which is great. But I think, you know, obviously we as, you know, people who are working in the trenches, we've got to, we've got to have information we can use straight away, right? And yep. I think that's what's important about the monitoring side of things, right? Obviously, you know, one thing is the subjective part where you're talking to people, taking the, you know, wellness and uh, readiness uh, data and questionnaires and looking at body language. I mean, I think that's hugely important, you know, probably yep. in some cases more important than the quote unquote objective data. Right. But I think it's it's really important to have the objective data as well. And I think this is where neuromuscular monitoring can come in really handy. I love it. So let's shift gears a little bit, because as I recall, you just had a pretty significant birthday. And I would <laughs> love to know what you've noticed in your own training as you've aged. Well, yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, I've got, uh, <laughs> I've got, him, got, got him past the 40 mark and um, yeah. feeling okay still. So, I you know, <laughs> you know how it is. So yes. I don't need to tell you about it. <laughs> but um, yeah, the training's definitely adapted. I mean, look, I actually think I can still produce and I think I'll, I'll go back to, to some of the stuff that your business partner, Bill Hartman, talked about. You know, you can still, this stage in your life, produce the same power output, I'd say, if you work on it, obviously. But I think it's just uh, the recovery bit that's the missing piece uh, in the puzzle at this stage, I think. And what my training is definitely now, you know, it's actually more enjoyable because I don't yeah. feel I have to get a certain number of reps in. I don't feel I have to lift a certain amount of weight. And it's basically all about, you know, feeling good, obviously look, looking good as well. But, you know, so I'm very cautious of the fact that I'm trying to get in stuff that I know I need. And then also that I get in stuff that I know, you know, I want. So I'm sticking to my, you know, jujitsu training because that's the part that I'm really loving. I'm sticking to my five-a-side soccer. But obviously, you know, I'm not neglecting the gym. And I think the only or, or rather the biggest thing has been, you know, I've probably the i've never been a big like you know two hours in the gym right uh, kind kind of guy never have been you know i don't know likely. anybody like that no i wouldn't i wouldn't know anyone myself, <laughs> not, especially not in my in my family but yeah uh, i think as you age the focus gets much sharper right so and that includes the gym so uh, i love going into the gym but you know i i give myself a set amount of time and, you know, I get, if you want to call the, you know, the main lifts in and that's in. And if I get to get any accessory stuff in, that's, that's great. That's a bonus. If yep. not, I'll again, use, use that term microdose that on the other days when I'm, you know, supposed to yes. be off, I'm doing other stuff, but you know, it, it's maybe a 20 minute, 20 minute session where I'm doing like EMOM stuff every minute on the minute, or, you know, just getting some quality density work in right on, in a, I don't know, circuit training fashion or, or something like that. Yeah. But I think also a big thing is obviously keeping the uh, keeping the body fresh and and recovered, right? And thankfully, I've um, you 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 know you've been uh, here as a speaker, but Slovenia and Ljubljana, you know, offers great the great outdoors. So we try yes. to get out 
and hike a lot, you know, and uh, get out into into nature as much as we can. I think that offsets a lot of the the you know the stress in life and in the gym as well. So yep. yeah, definitely intensity still there, volume definitely down, and probably frequency down as well. And I, I suppose to to finish that thought off is not worried about you know skipping sessions because i know i'm gonna get it in the next day or whatever some other way yeah yeah exactly you know i don't know how much older dan john is than me but i remember reading a lot of dan john stuff 10 12 years ago and just thinking like like i get it but i don't get it (laughs) and and as i've gotten older it's like oh now i get it you know like he he wrote an article a while back called the olad program it was like the one lift a day program it was like you go one day and you squat you go on another day and you military press. You go on another day and you deadlift. And at the time, like, who would want to just do, like, one lift a day? And then you get to 40. And it's not even the recovery thing, right? Like, there's that element of impaired recovery. But I think a big part of it, too, is just the time constraints, exactly. right? You got other stuff going on, man. You've got a family. You've got work, whatever. So it's like, oh, now I really get why that's such a big deal. So I, I've got a follow-up question to that. How has that changed knowing what you know now and being where you're at now? How has that changed how you program or how you coach your order over 40 population? Well, it's been huge. I mean, obviously, you know, all, all our programs are biased, right? Based on what we know, what we've experienced, who we've been exposed to, I guess. But I've been fortunate enough to to have worked and continue to work with a group of guys. And there's about 12 guys since, you know, practically when we opened the gym in 2007, you know, some of them joined in 2008, maybe 2009. So I've got a, you know, kind of a nice sample, you know, sports scientists would love this, you know, uh, N is 12, you know, about 12 guys who (laughs) I've worked with for 12 years. Right. And when we started out, you know, they were on average, you know, so a couple of guys are maybe a couple of years younger than myself. And then some guys are about, you know, they range up to 10 years older than me. So it's mm. quite a big range, right? Yeah. So when we started out, you know, the, the youngest guy was, I don't know, 27 or 26. And now they're, you know, close to 40. And the older guy was, I don't know, around 40 at the time, 39. And now they're hitting 50 this year, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously in those 12 years, I've adapted quite a lot. Back in the day, you know, we we were doing some Olympic lifting variations. You know, we were doing a lot of density work, a lot of volume, I'd say. Even for back then, I thought I thought it was quite a lot of volume, right? Because, you know, these guys, some of them were actually, you know, were high-level recreational athletes. Some had actually, you know, played a bit of professional sport themselves. You know, but they'd be, they, they'd come in and they everyone had stuff, right? You know, yeah. torn rotator cuffs, you know blowing out knees, whatever you want, right? So with time, and but these guys, they, they always want to go after it. So for me, it's just been a question of choosing the right kind of mostly joint-friendly exercises. Obviously, we've thrown the Olympic lifts and variations out of the program mostly, but we still get the power stuff in, right? We still do do the jumps we still do you know the med, med ball slams med ball throws yeah. all that kind of stuff all the all the all the cool stuff you know we sometimes you know from time to time we'll still go like you know a dumbbell snatch here and there you know stuff like that but most of the especially like upper body stuff will be you know landmine presses stuff like that we won't overhead press definitely bilaterally and um, you know again you know we, we fit the squat to, to to know to their anatomy and needs yeah. and uh, 
they're not i would say on average you know we i, I cycle so we, we do three week cycles and i do probably do like two so six weeks on a squat variation before doing three weeks on a deadlift variation just because most of them have you know low back issues and i don't really like them going into a conventional deadlift anyway so you right. know we'll kind of and we'll kind of rotate the the main lifts just to make sure they're feeling nice and fresh. And I, I don't really do too many splits, but still, you know, when we do a low, lower body session, there's a, like an upper body filler in there and also like a, a, a mobility component to, to every session. So, yeah, definitely want them, you know, the main goal is to have them with me in 10 years time, right? Yeah. And if I want to do that, then I'm definitely not, not going to kill them on every session. You know? <laughs> so they come in Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and, you know, I'd... So we'll do like a, a lower body focused uh, session on Monday, upper body focused session on Wednesday, and then a capacity or a density kind of session on, on a Friday, right? Nice. And it's it seemed to have worked pretty well. So I, you know, I tweak the the model from time to time, but I've never really gone too far away from it just because I feel, you know, it ain't broken, then why fix it? Absolutely. At least but obviously adjusting it, uh, along the way, right? For sure. Okay, so last but not least, I want to go a little bit off the grid here because I know you've got a passion project and I want to hear about it. So talk to me about the Movement Culture Project. What is it and how did you get started with it? All right. So, yeah, this is something that I, I love talking about. And uh, to, to be honest, you know, we started the project three years ago, even more be, because, you know, we or rather I had to kind of, you know, think up of, of the concept and everything. And it took about six months before we did anything. But, yeah. It was actually Nate Green who, who, and he probably doesn't even know it, but I think it must must have been about five years ago now that he he gave a little talk to to the Vicar Ground coaches about, uh, and I think John Berardi talks about uh, it in his new book, Change Maker. Uh, Change Maker. Yeah, exactly. It's basically you know find your unique abilities, you know, and kind of make them count, right? So I thought to myself at the time, you know, I want to. I'm not, you know, a big big presence on social media for various reasons that we you know we probably don't have time to go into right now <laughs> right so yeah so I, I thought to myself look I, I want to make something that will make a difference right and that's unique to me and I thought to myself okay what what have I got that I could use to make a difference you know in people's lives and and to show you know people so I thought to myself yeah you know I love traveling I've been all over the world I speak many languages of I love movement i love the you know martial arts and all the traditional sports and how that integrates into into people's lives so i'd go across the world so i'd shoot one documentary on movement culture on every continent and i'd make a documentary about it so i i started out decided to go to rio de janeiro first in brazil because um my my jiu-jitsu coach and good friend carlos maya he's from rio originally and you know we just had access to to people who could tell a story over there and why i did it was because i wanted to you know having worked in professional sports and come across many youth athletes you know they a lot of these guys you know they don't have the resources to come into my gym and pay for for the training right Right. so i thought i would like to make training more accessible to, to certain people and not just certain people but also across the generations you know uh, i thought so my dad and my mum they developed parkinson's disease about six seven years ago you know my dad still goes into the gym twice a week but you can see how that kind of disease influences the way you move and i thought it would be really cool to you know to come up with a project that would try to 
try to address that and through a fun way, you know, like uh, looking at how culture and environment impacts the way we move. And so we went to Brazil, we shot this documentary and yeah, now it's been three, three years since we... <laughs> Or I released it. So yeah, now it's it's ready and it's up. Uh, I've got a landing page now where people can go and check it out. And it's, you know, it's obviously free f- to to check out. And all I'm really asking people is basically to 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 share it if they think uh, you know it's worth sharing. And you know, there's there's a little kind of fundraising theme behind it as well. So we're trying to help people with Parkinson's disease and also, you know, underprivileged youths to to come into the gym and, and train. Yeah, so it's one episode in now. And obviously, you know, kind of because it was self-funded, it kind of, you know, took a, took a back seat and also to my to my studies and, you know, now having a family and all that. And But yeah, I'm, I'm really, really kind of convinced that I am going to make the other four. So I'm just looking where we'll go next, whether it will be Middle East, Africa or or maybe somewhere in Asia, depending on the situation right now when borders open, you know, it's, right. uh, but it's, yeah, it's definitely something that I'm looking forward to big time in, in the future. And what is the website so that we can make sure we yeah. link it up? Yeah. So it's movementcultureprojects.com. That's what it is right now. And like I said, you can, there's an, there's an intro video where I, where I talk about why we and I made it. And then there's a short documentary that's about, I think it's under 20 minutes. So you know, even for, for the people who don't have time, I think it won't be <laughs> too long and hopefully they'll get something out of it. That's awesome. That's awesome. We'll make sure we get that in the show notes. We've done the big question before. So I want to go sure. a little <laughs> bit different route this time. If a new coach came to you and wanted two to three actionable items to help them be successful in their career, what would it be? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. And one I get from a lot of the guys I, I, I mentor, <laughs> it's been on my mind for quite a long time because, you know, I, so I've been doing this master's degree for the last three years. And before that, I was asking myself, you know, how important is it to have a degree and, you know, formal education to do what we do, right? Right. And I'm still not quite convinced because obviously it's it helps right because you do not have to know the basic science right right but it will only get you know it will only get you foot in the door not even that you you really really need to know how how to communicate and like i said here it's it's very cliche these days but i think it's good it's been a very good time to to talk about the soft skills that we develop as coaches and Nick Wilkman Winkleman's out with a with a book I think it's called the language of uh, of coaching or something coaching. like that yeah 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 and works like that are just huge to to the field and the industry right now because I don't think we do a good job of communicating to our clients and athletes and I think it goes back to to when you asked me the first question you know basically my world their world right yeah because people are coming into your world and you have to make sure it's their world as well right and now how you do that it depends on who who's in front of you you have to know the language of the person that's in front of you and i think i talked a little bit about this in the first episode is how knowledge of different languages has helped me you know um obviously working with people from different countries obviously it helps but i think developing that empathy and knowing what questions to ask what buttons to to press with clients is huge you know they and i think that's probably the most important skill obviously i think knowing your your program design your 
functional anatomy, your physiology, it's all very important. But I think communication skills are are probably the most important, I would say, right now. Yeah. Second thing right now is, you know, and this is something that I've got to work on as well, is you need to, unfortunately, you know, find a platform online to make yourself heard. You know, now, if you're not good with social media, you need to find another platform. Maybe that's a blog maybe that's a podcast, maybe it's in-person workshops, you know, because mm-hmm. I find it much easier to talk to people face-to-face than into a camera. <laughs> I always have done. I'm becoming a little bit better at it. But, you know, going forward, like in the next five or 10 years, everyone, everyone is going to have to be able to talk to the camera. And especially when they're talking to a camera, they will have to be able to tell a story. Yes. And that story is going to have to resonate with with the people on the other side of the camera and the people on the other side of of the desk or wherever you're you're speaking to them. And I have to give a shout out to to Luca here, my brother, because I think he does this very well. Obviously, I I think he does too much of it, to be honest. (laughs) But but yeah, I think he does this really well, you know, getting the why across and, you know, taking the time to, to understand the person in front of them and also the target audience that you're speaking to. I think it's huge, right? Absolutely. You know, that's one or two items, I guess. You know, I could probably find a few more, but I think, yeah, uh, for sure. I love for it. For sure. Those, those are going to be the most important. I love it. Okay. Last but not least, we've got our lightning round. So four questions, fairly short in length. Your answers can be as short or as long as you'd like. All right? Sure. All right. Let's go. Number one, on a scale of one to 10, how awesome was it being an online client of mine? And yes, you can obviously answer something higher than 10. Okay. So, <laughs> I want my money back, Mike. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, Killing uh, seriously, me. Seriously. <laughs> seriously. No, seriously. And I'm not just saying this, but it's so, so fun training with you. It's been immense, right? I think you you know what you're looking at in the assessment and you, you gave me exactly what I needed, right? Now, I suppose you could have gone and, and, and given me what I wanted. Yes. But I think it's much more important, especially at this stage of my life, that you gave me what I needed and, you know, to get into positions, basic positions like the squat, you know, to, to get me to feel better in these positions, feel stronger in these positions. And, and I, I think, you know, obviously I've, I've learned a lot from you along the way and, you know, obviously keep learning, but I think that, you know, just buying into the process is, is huge. And, um, on the back of that, I think it's so important that we had a relationship before that. Yep. Because I was able to to be bought in like 100% from day one, man. Yeah. I don't think like there was, I think on the first cycle, I would say like, you know, I looked at a program and, but you've already, you'd already like laid the groundwork, right? You already said, look, you know, I'm not going to kill you in the first cycle. This right. may seem like too little for you rather than too much. Right. And I looked at a program and I said, okay, yeah, look, on paper, this doesn't look like much, but I actually went through the the training and I thought to myself, well, no, that's, this is actually exactly what I needed. I, the point is not to go overboard here. And then, right. you know, three months in, I was like, yeah, you know, I get it, you know. Right. And hopefully, you know, the same, that's what my clients get as well, you know. And it's not usually not until like the second or third cycle that yes. they realize, wow, okay, I, I get what he's trying to do, right? Yes. But like I said, I probably would reiterate the fact that, you know, if you're looking to to train people in person or online, I think you need to establish a relationship first. Now, obviously, you know, sometimes distance, remoteness will 
you know, will prevent you from having a uh, face-to-face, you know, relationship conversation. But I think you need to to get to know the person before you start training them for sure. Yeah. And I think that before because I had such a great relationship with you before, it was so easy to be brought in and, you know, hence, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed the program and yeah, still a beast now, man. I love it. I love it, man. Yeah. And that's part of it, right? Like sometimes as a coach, you have to, in the nicest way possible, let people know like, hey, we may do some stuff that is either uncomfortable or stuff that you don't think is important at this point in time. But this is like, this is why you're coming to me because I feel like I have the best plan for you. So I think, again, it's the communication side of it, right? It's being able to relay, this is why we're doing this, and this is how it's going to pay off down the line. So For sure. Great stuff. Great stuff. Okay. Number two, talk to me. What's it like being a dad? Nine months in, right? Yeah, nine months in. Well, man, you you know, you've got two kiddos yes. of your own. But yeah, it's been great. It's definitely changed me, you know, I'd say for the better. Man, I went through um, a phase, I think, from 24 to can't even remember well I spent more than a decade single so obviously you can imagine that you know it was kind of me first and then you know uh, everyone else later but you know it just shifts that so much and yeah. but you enjoy it right Absolutely. so uh, I think you know without being too mm, you know too I don't want to sugarcoat it too much but I think the most important thing to me is being able to influence how a little person will you know, kind of develop and basically grow up and, you know, just having that opportunity to, to shape and mold someone. And I don't mean like, you know, too, too, too much hands on, but uh, just to, to have, have that opportunity. And basically, probably the most important thing for me is passing on the experiences I, I've been blessed to have, you know, having traveled across the world and now being able to pass that on to my daughter is probably the most enjoyable part of it. And obviously right now, you know, she's, she's, she's still small, but um, right. You know, I think every day is a, is a learning opportunity for me. And I think, yeah, it's probably given me more more skills than any coaching manual could ever have. Right? Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, just looking forward to, to enjoy it day by day. I guess. A- absolutely, man. It's it's a fun time. It's a fun time yeah. for sure. Okay. I'm not too sleep de- not too sleep deprived, I have to say. So I I'm love really that. grateful for that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, the first three months are the hardest. I always feel like if you can get through those first three months because there's not a lot of personality, they don't sleep, you're sleep deprived. So if you can get through those first three months, you got a pretty good shot at this thing. So, okay, number three, you've wrapped up the master's program, the thesis, you're like, or you're like right there. What are you most excited about to read, watch, or dive into when you're done? Well, first of all, we want to take the family on to, uh, to, for a vacation, and that's what we're doing. So we go nice, the, borders, nice. the, the borders into Croatia have opened, so we're going to the wonderful island of Korčula, second part of June. And nice. over there, I'll, I'll try to read as much as I can. I'm yeah. currently reading The Book of Why, um, okay. which is uh, yeah, a, a book on causal inference and <laughs> you know all that kind of stuff. Uh, and it, it's a good book. And you know, just trying to make sure I'm I'm on point with my movement culture project I think I'm gonna kind of decide on when we're gonna where we're gonna go next hopefully yep. politics and border openings permitting and just looking really looking forward to, to spending time with Gaia uh, and Urka, my girlfriend so um, yeah it's just really difficult right now to see beyond the next couple of weeks and just yes. trying to take it a step at a time but yeah definitely looking to to mentor more up-and-coming coaches and uh looking forward to the youth champions league man that's definitely yeah that's uh, exciting 
an exciting one for for the fall this year yeah yeah well i think number four might bleed into that but last but not least what's next for matei hasavar like i mean vacation you know youth champions league anything else you got got going on that you're excited about yeah well you know i've kind of said it all here i mean just enjoying each day over here and uh i'm looking looking forward to maybe going to to the states in in october if luca yes. is able to pull off his bigger ground summit we're, we're going to try to make it over yes and he's he's helped me out with the movement culture project so i'm kind of counting on him to use his you know media social media <laughs> empire to, to to you know spread the word yes um yeah, I'm actually really uh, looking forward to seeing him. Hopefully he comes over in July. This COVID virus has definitely, you know, kind of... It shut everything more, down. Shut yeah. everything down, you know, yeah. made every everything just move online, which which is not always a great thing. I, I'm more of a, you know, face-to-face person. So I'm looking forward to, to engaging more with friends and family for sure. Absolutely. Well, Matei, you've been awesome today, my friend. So great catching up with you. Where can my listeners find out more about you and everything you have going on? Well, you know, my social media presence is limited, but I'm on Instagram, Tocha Dervish, at, and then movementcultureproject.com will be, a, will be a big thing. I also have a little blog that I've started not so long ago, makingsenseofperformance.com. So, yeah, I'm going to try to do more stuff for sure online. Like I said, I get a lot of grief from, from Luca for, <laughs> for not, not having the, the, the social media presence he has. So I'll try to up my game a little bit. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to change. So I think it's going to be like, you know, uh, coffee, friends, family and traveling, man. So I love uh, it. <laughs> I love it, man. That's why I called you in the first show, the world's like the most interesting man in fitness. So uh, thanks for that. Thanks for that. I got some good feedback on that. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, man. You're welcome. Well, again, Matei, thanks so much for coming on, man. This was really great. Oh, man, I appreciate you, Mike. Thank you very much for the opportunity. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Matei. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. I just enjoyed catching up with him, but I mean, such a wide range of topics there from sports science to training adults to the Movement Culture Project, which I haven't watched yet. I am super excited to go check it out, though. Um, You know, he's just a super interesting guy. He's very well-read. And most importantly, he's somebody that I consider a true and dear friend. So hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, please help me out one of two ways. Number one, if you're not already subscribed, take two seconds out of your day. Go to iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. This podcast is basically everywhere now. So find a place, subscribe to it, and start checking out the show on a regular basis. If you are already subscribed, thank you. Take two minutes out of your day and go to the iTunes store, give me a ranking, give me a review. If you feel like it's worth it, I would love a five star. I feel like put in great work every week to try and bring you a show that is gonna make you a better trainer, a better coach, or a better athlete. But if you could do that, the rankings, the reviews, those things really help. Just get the show in front of more people, and that's what it's all about. It's making a massive impact, not only on trainers and coaches, but on all the clients and athletes that they work with as well. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.